How's it going, Danny? I'm doing well. How are you, Tyler? I'm doing pretty good. Just ready to get high and talk about more horror movies or horror animation. (laughs) So we're Fried Squirms. I'm Tyler. You're Danny. We already said that part. Shit, before we get to our movie today, we got some green hits to get to. I'm not sure if I need them already with how I'm already forgetting what we're doing, but we're going to hit this anyway. Danny, what kind of weed you bring me today? Well, Tyler, it was my turn to return the favor because I think the last three weeks or so you had been bringing me a particular joint <laughs> from a particular dispensary that we frequent, but I did bring over the infamous sugar cookies. Oh, shit, sugar cookies. Right, and as this needs an introduction, but for those who don't know, this is a 50-50 hybrid. It is a cross of the infamous Sensei Star, Crystal Gale, and Blue Hawaiian strains. So for those who do like the effects of euphoria, happiness, relaxation, and uplifting, this is a good strain for you. It also has flavors that are consistent of buttery, coffee, sugary, and sweet flavors with earthy, sweet, and vanilla aromas. And for those who do like THC numbers, this comes in at around 26.5% over at Flower. Hell yeah. So I didn't go to Flower this week. I went back up to Top Shelf for the first time in a bit. I got some sour mint for you. Now I was having a hard time finding exact info on sour mint. What I did find, I found an article that doesn't necessarily say that this is what it was bred from, but I'm going to have to assume that since this is what it's talking about, that this is what it's bred from. It seems that sour mint comes from a cross of sour cookies and thin mints. Sour Cookies is Sour Diesel with GSC. Thin Mints is OG Kush with Durban Poison. So you're going to end up being a sativa-dominant hybrid. That's kind of just supposed to be an overall pleasant high is what's being said. Like, you got little notes from all those strains, and so it's kind of just a rounded-out general up. And while we're still here in the beginning... Just like to remind you all that we do have a Patreon now. We would appreciate it if you would go check that shit out. www.patreon.com slash fried squirms. Even if you don't want to sign up and get any of the benefits, there's a poll there for you to let us know what might interest you in making you sign up. But at the very least, even at our lowest level, you'll get all these episodes a week early. You could have heard this already. And up at the highest level, you can talk to us on Discord. You'll get access to anything else crazy and cool and wonderful that we do that's beyond what we normally do. Yeah, including a rad-ass sticker that we don't even own. I'm about to subscribe to our own Patreon to get that fucking sticker. Just letting you know. I want my sticker. That's, like we said, patreon.com slash fried Super appreciate if you check that out. We have a movie to get to. So I'd say let's move on to the guts and bolts of Vampire Hunter D, colon, Bloodlust. Guts and Bolts. All right. Guts and Bolts, Vampire Hunter D, Bloodlust. Who and what went in the making of this film? Spoiler-free setup to start you all off. Um, Let's see here. A man hires two groups of vampire hunters to go rescue his daughter who's been taken by the local vampire count. One of those hunters is the titular Vampire Hunter D. Dude, I like it. Simple, straight to the point. 
as adapted from the novel. Uh, what was the name of that? Oh, shit. It's uh, Demon Death Chase. That's right. Three. Yep. One of the ones I haven't read yet. Well, okay. we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Nice. All right. So from week to week, we do like to talk about the cast and the crew. And this week, I'm going to lead off with director and one part of a writing team. But this gentleman is Yushiaki Karajiri. And films of note from this gentleman, some really cool ones, actually. So if you look back a little bit in his career... He helped on Wicked City from 1987, where he was the director and screenwriter and character designer and animation director. He also helped with the segment The Running Man for Neo Tokyo from 1987, a film actually I watched more recently. I had no idea it was his, but it kind of makes sense. He directed the 1988 film Demon City Shinjuku. He's also responsible for 1993's Ninja Scroll. If you've ever seen the Animatrix segment program, and he was a screenwriter for the segments World Record and Program, and he was also known for Highlander, The Search for Vengeance from 2007. He actually helped with some OVAs as well, some television series as well, and he's got a couple of other works underneath his belt, most notably animations. Yo, for reals, that Highlander property is one of the better Highlander stories that they've done so far. I have watched that, I think... Ooh, I might have the DVD of it stashed away somewhere, to be completely honest. But makes sense that he did Demon City Shinjuku, partially because that's also based off of a novel by Hiroyuki Kyokuchi. Well, that was the next person on my list because the story was based off, we already mentioned, Vampire Hunter D Volume 3's English adaptation was written by Ellen Moore and Jack Fletcher. Now, Jack Fletcher is also a voice actor in this film, Mm -hmm. but... He is known for being a voice direction, or as far as like a producer, etc., on some pretty big projects, man. Yeah, I was about to say, he's done more pr- voice producing than actual acting yeah. by a long shot. Just a few off the top of my head here and in front of me as well is uh, he helped with Aeon Flux. Mm. He also helped with Celebrity Deathmatch from 2006 to seven. He helped with a ton of Final Fantasy games, starting with like The Legend of the Crystals, The Spirit Within. He also helped with Final Fantasy X, X2, 12, 13, and 13-2, and Tactics. These are all Final Fantasy games, and I think some of these are movies. Yeah, Spawn the Animated Series. Dude, yeah, check this out. Kiki's Delivery Service, Golgo 13 Queen Bee, Looney Tunes Cartoons, Ninja Gaiden 2. Actually, a film I've been wanting to watch for a long time, and he helped on some of the uh, Pet Shop of Horrors as well, which mm. I'm really curious about. And uh, some of the Tinchi Muyo, some really cool stuff. He actually helped with Yakuza as well. So, We also have cinematographer Hitoshi Yamaguchi. He helped with Ninja Scroll, the film Battle Angel, and the film Metropolis. We have Yo, he did Battle Angel? Yeah, dude. It's pretty awesome. We have four editors on this. We have Hurotoshi Ogata. As a gentleman, I don't know if we've mentioned him, but we actually reviewed a film he edited. The mm. only other animation we've done. <laughs> no shit. Yeah. Fucking Perfect Blue? Sure did. So he helped with Perfect Blue. He also helped on Wicked City, Ninja Scroll, in the film They Were Eleven. We have Satoshi Tarauchi. And Satoshi, another one of those people who's got some really cool films underneath their belt. They helped with Battle Angel. Also helped with DNA Square, the television series from 1994. The films Twilight of the Dark Master, Trigun, the television series from 1998. Also, some of the card captor Sakuras, the sealed card and the movie. 
help with Millennium Actress and Space Pirate, uh, which is really cool. A couple other things there too is things like a Red Line, Trigun, Badlands, Rumble. Some really cool animation as far as television series. We also have Kashiko Kimura in Kashiko. Like I said, once again, another one of those. Got some really cool television credits underneath their belt. They help also with the Card Captor Sakura movie. They also help with Tokyo Godfathers, Paranoia Agent from 2004. Also helped with The Last Order, Final Fantasy XII, which was a video short. Also helped with Street Fighter Part Four, the video game from 2008, which is really cool. And let's see here, more recently, such things as Avengers Confidential, Black Widow, and Punisher from 2014. Oh, Parasite, The Maxim. Some really cool projects there. And last but not least, we have Yukuki Ito. They helped with They Were Eleven, Ninja Scroll, and Battle Angel. The music was composed by Marco D'Ambrosio, and he helped on such films as Gumby, the movie, and JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, both the movie and the television series. All right, special effects were done by Satellite. They helped with the CGI effects. This was produced by Mariichiro Yamamoto, Masayo Marayuma, and Takeyuki Nagasawa. The production companies were Madhouse, Vampire Hunter D Productions, Film Link International, BMG Funhouse, Muvik, and Good Hill Vision, along with Soft Capital. The distributor was Nippon Herald Films for the 2001 Japanese theatrical release, released on July 2000 in Canada at the Fantasia Fest, April 21st, 2001 in Japan, and September 23rd, 2001 here in the United States. It grossed $151,000 worldwide. And the tagline I have is, when the sun sets, the hunt begins. Nice. All right. We have a ton of people as far as voice actors. From what I understand, this was actually, I think, filmed and recorded in English before it was recorded in Japanese. So because of that, I decided to go with American or the English voice actors in this. Well, here's the other thing. The only way you can hear the Japanese voice track is to actually buy the Japanese release. All the other releases, due to licensing rights, only have the English dub. Or I guess it wouldn't be a dub in this case, but... I know, which I was thinking is like, oh, I want to hear the Japanese, and I read that. I was like, oh, never mind. <laughs> never mind. All right, so with that in mind, like saying, because we're Americans, and because we speak English... With that in mind, I have some things to say about some of the voice cast. Mm. Although, we'll say that in the next segment, and just list what they're known for. Nothing too terribly bad, because as we're about to find out, they are all pretty damn accomplished. All right, so leading off, playing the titular role of our vampire hunter, D, is voiced by Andy Philpott. And Andy, like I said, a gentleman's got some really cool films to his name. Just a few are Aeon Flux. He helped with additional voices there. He helped with the Chronicles of Riddick Dark Fury, where he voiced the tech. He's also helped on such things as Ninja Scroll and Ninja Scroll, the series, Pet Shop of Horrors, Tenchi Muyo in Love, Twilight of the Dark Master, and some live action stuff. You might have seen him in Empty Nest. He was in Frasier, it looks like, for an episode as a waiter. Working and The Practice, he also helped on the Final Fantasy X and Twelve video games as well as far as voice acting, so some pretty cool credits there. I was about to say, like... I guess I don't necessarily know Tenchi Muyo enough to know if this character would be bigger, but other than D, his biggest character is probably Lord Braska in Final Fantasy X. I think you're probably right, yeah. 
All right, we have Michael Mike McShane. He voices the left hand of D, or D's left hand. And this gentleman has appeared in such things as the original British television show, Whose Line Is It Anyway, from 1988 through 97. Then he went on to appear in such films as Tucker, The Man in His Dream, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Richie Rich, and Office Space. He also helped in several Disney productions, including Tom and Hook, the television series Brotherly Love, and Tower of Terror. He also helped on, let's see, such things as Cosgrove Hall films, Avenger Penguins. He was Garib in Todd McFarlane's Spawn from 1997 through 99. And uh, Quosmer in Dave the Barbarian. Man, I remember watching Dave the Barbarian, but I don't remember it well enough to know who that was. What I am catching is that he was tuck and roll in A Bug's Life, which were the uh, acrobat pill bugs. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, we got some interesting people here. All right, I have John Rafter Lee. He voices the character of Meyer Link. Now, this is a little bit of trivia, but we might as well go ahead and get this out of the way. Some of these translations are off, not only in characters, but in, like, character descriptions. Yes, I guess now is the time to note that as we talk about this movie, I will not be saying Dunpeel the entire time. No, I've, I went with Dampier in yeah. my notes. So let's go ahead and get that out of the way. And the other one, because I've already mentioned the name Meyerlink, it's actually supposed to be Meyerling. Yes. So there's that mistranslation there. Most of the names are pretty fucking close. Yeah. Though. Yeah. Everything else is pretty darn close. You're right. That was one of the few exceptions. I think. Grove is the other one. Is it Groveken? Which is yeah. not much, but yeah. All right. So John Rafter Lee, another one of those guys. He's a voice actor, but a few things of note from him. He voiced some characters in Princess Mononoke. Really good film. I highly recommend that one. You might have also heard his voice for 10 episodes as Trevor Goodchild in Aeon Flux. He voiced Jason Wynn for 17 episodes in Tar McFarlane's Spawn. That's a big deal, because Wynn was the guy that backstabbed Spawn oh, wow. and then hooked up with his wife. That's crazy, dude. Yeah. All right. He also voiced Azusa Jurai and Tenchi Muyo, Yo-Oki, which is an episode, Here Comes Jurai. He also helped uh, voice Ninja Scroll, the series, as Renya Haguya. <laughs> also in Ghost in the Shell, the standalone complex for multiple voices there. Also lent his voice as Meyer Link for Vampire Hunter D, the video game, Vampire the Masquerade Redemption, and Sid Bonanza in Final Fantasy XII, which Sid was a character that came back from a previous entry, which is really cool. Right. He wasn't the original Sid. No, I think he was, was part four, so it was part two here in the, the States. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm familiar. This is really cool. All right. We have... Pamela Adlon Siegel. Now, <laughs> holy shit, this is crazy. God damn it, Bobby. I know, man. So she voices Layla in the film. Since you already brought that up. Yeah, she is the voice of Bobby Hill on King of the Hill. That's crazy, isn't it? Here's something that's interesting. We've reviewed a film, a Canadian film, with a friend of ours, Donnie. And that film was The Gate. And she was in the sequel, The Gate Part 2. Oh, yeah, little known fact there. She was also a part of the Facts of Life television series. I'm saying like a ton of television series. Voices a ton of characters, dude. Well, she was writer and producer on Louie. Yeah. Now, another one, too, which I thought was really cool. 
I'm a huge fan. I think we've mentioned this several times before. Maybe not the show, but the person. She was on Californication with mm. David Duchovny. She played the wife of his agent. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, ex-wife, I should say. But still, really good, man. She also did some voice work on Bobby's World. Do you like I said, if we were to, to go through her career, oh, it's crazy, fuck, she man. did work on Bobby's World. This is crazy. Yeah, I'm just briefly scrolling through, and I'm like, I, we don't have enough time to be naming all of it. All you guys need to know is you've probably heard her more than you realize. You've probably seen her more than you realize. She was also in Grease Part 2 as well. So she's got her voice all over the place. Which, weird aside, but Grease 2 ages better than the first one. Good. Maybe <laughs> not... Uh, Maybe not overall as good, like not yeah. as catchy. Gotcha. But yeah. probably aged better than the okay. first one. Okay. I say I can't tell you the last time I'd seen it. It's been a long time. All right. We have Wendy Lee. She voices the character of Charlotte Elborn. And a few things of note from Miss Wendy. She lent her voice as Lena in Dragon Ball. You've also might have heard her voice in such things as Tenchi in Tokyo. She also voiced Faye Valentine in Cowboy Bebop. That's and, huge. Yeah, no kidding, man. She helped on Mobile Suit Gundam 0080, War in the Pocket. She also helped in uh, Wild Arms, Twilight Venom, which is really cool. Yeah, she's done Jesus. some Naruto. She's Yorichi in Bleach, which that's fucking that's huge. dude. Yeah, Sailor Moon, Queen Serenity from 2014 yeah. through 15. That was nuts. Jordan, that one was for you. She voices Bulma in Dragon Ball Super. That's yeah. Crazy. Yeah, so like I said, she's also done some animation. I mean, not that those aren't animation, but such things as Family Guy, where she voiced several characters. She's actually helped in some feature films as well, like Kiki's Delivery Service, Perfect Blue. She voiced Rumi. In the English version, that's crazy, dude. Oh, what? That's yeah. cool. Akira as Kai. Okay. Kai, yeah. Blue Exorcist, the movie. Case closed. Yeah, direct to video and television. Yeah, she, she got her voice all over. Dude, another one of those. We'd be here all day. Oh, geez. She was shang Wan in fucking Soul Calibur 2. Dude. <laughs> what the fuck? All right. Julia Fletcher, she voices Carmilla and Dee's mother. <laughs> Dee's nuts. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, right? Now, another one of those, of course, she was the voice actor in the film Final Fantasy Legend of the Crystals. You might have heard her as Ket's aunt or Ket's mother in Kiki's Delivery Service. She was Haruna in Naruto, Ninja Scroll, Pet Shop of Horrors, Tenchi Muyo, The Animatrix, Vampire Princess Miyu. She also helped on a lot of the Final Fantasy video games and Aeon Flux as well. So some really cool credits there. We have Matt McKenzie. He voices the role of Borgoff Marcus. A few things of note from him. He was in The Rookie, which is really neat. 1990s The Rookie, that is. Twilight of the Dark Master, The Odd Couple Part Two, Princess Mononoke, Final Fantasy The Spirits Within, The Animatrix, and then television. He helped on such things as Married with Children, where he was a reporter for an episode. He was in Murphy Brown for an episode. Beverly Hills, 90210, Star Trek Deep Space Nine is Dr. Weld Ram in the episode The Alternate. Uh, he also did additional voices in Tart McFarlane's Spawn as well. Jesus, Family Matters, 70s Show, 
how far do you want to go with this? Jesus, yo, man. yo, here's the thing. He's the English voice of Aron in Final Fantasy X. Crazy, dude. Who's like the biggest badass in the game. So it's pretty awesome. All right, we have a pretty big voice actor now. We have John DiMaggio. He voices Noel Marcus, Bender, <laughs> Machira, and John Elburn. Yes, he is Bender in uh, Futurama. It's crazy. He also voices Jake the Dog on Adventure Time, Marcus Phoenix in the Gears of War series, Dr. Draken, Kim Possible, The Scotsman on Samurai Jack, Brother Blood on Teen Titans, Schnitzel on Chowder, Hammerhead and Sandman on the Spectacular Spider-Man. He voices Aquaman on Batman the Brave and the Bold. Outrageous. Isn't that crazy? Waka in Mira in Final Fantasy uh, X. Yeah. Wrath and Egregor on Ben 10 in Gonza in Princess Monona Kane. That's just a few of his voices that he does. Likes it. Just a, a really popular voice actor. Tons of credits, dude. Another one. We'd be here all day listening to his credits, man. We ain't got time for that, but... Yeah, check out some of his other ones. Really cool. All right, we have Alex Fernandez voices Kyle Marcus. A few things of note from him. He helped with The Animatrix. He voiced Tom. He also helped on uh, Christmas Crime Story and Last Moment of Clarity from last year. He voiced Eamon in Aeon Flux. You might have heard his additional voices in Tarmac McFarlane's Spawn. He also voiced Leon Orcutt in Pet Shop of Horrors for four episodes. So um, here we go. You watched True Detective more intently than me. Okay. First season, do you happen to remember who James O'Neill would have been? He would have been in three episodes because that was him. Yeah, I just figured because he was actually in three episodes of something. It's like I see his face here, but I just don't. I don't recognize his character. He's probably some random FBI agent. But okay. Well, then once again, he had a huge role. Like a lot of these other people, he had a huge role in Final Fantasy X as Seymour Guado. Fucking crazy, man. <laughs> Dude, I played the shit out of X. Like, X is kind of my jam, so. I'm trying to think if X was like one of the, one of those was a throwback to like some of the old mages, black mages and stuff like mm-hmm. that, white mages. We have Jack Fletcher, gentleman we've already mentioned before. He does voice the role of Grove Marcus. We've already mentioned a couple of things of note from him. All right, we have Dwight Schultz actually does multiple voices in this. He voices Bengay in The Old Man of Barbaros. A few things of note from Mr. Schultz. <laughs> Some people might recognize him from a 1980s action series. It's a little series called A-Team, and he played a little role called Captain Howling Mad Murdoch. Fucking Murdoch? Nuts. Bonkers. What the shit? He's also Reginald Barclay. In Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Trek Voyager, and the film Star Trek First Contact. He's also known as the mad scientist in the animation Ben 10. Uh, he plays Dr. Animo. He's also Chef Mungdahl <laughs> in Chowder and Eddie the Squirrel and Cat Dog. Another one of those guys got a ton of roles. Yo, I watched a shit ton of Cat Dog. I do not remember Eddie the Squirrel, but... It's crazy. He was in a... Alone in the Dark from 1982, which is really cool. Old slasher there. Yeah, just a lot of cartoons, mostly. Some video game work. What do you know? Final Fantasy. Huh. Metal Gear Solid, Final Fantasy XII. Yeah, like, just another one of those guys. Does a lot of video game, a lot of animation as well. All right, we've got a few other people, and that'll pretty much round out our cast and crew. I have Mary Elizabeth McGlynn. She voices the role of Caroline. And she is actually known for her music production in multiple games from the Silent Hill series. 
And uh, like I said, another one of those, holy moly, how much time you got? Let's see, she voiced uh, some roles in Mobile Suit Gundam. She was a Matoko in Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex. She also helped in the Naruto series where she voiced multiple characters. Code Geass is another one of those. She helped in the uh, Tekken series, Nina Williams. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> She's the voice for one of the fucking swords in Bleach. It's crazy. That's yeah. Hilarious. She was Julia in Cowboy Bebop for a couple of uh, seasons. She was in some of the Digimon adaptations as well. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Tons of video games. She was also in an episode of Quantum Leap. Hell yeah, dude. That's what I'm talking about. Hell yeah. So, all right. We have John Hostetter voices the role of Polk. And Polk is an older gentleman who winds up pulling a gun on one of the sheriffs. Oh, wait. Holy shit. We got we to gotta back up real quick. Okay. Mary Elizabeth. I've heard her voice a shit ton because I went hard on Mortal Kombat 11 when it dropped, and she's the new character, Cetrion. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Nice, dude. Just a few things of note from John Demita. He voiced Bulbous Gene Bleach. You might have heard his voice as Beerus in Dragon Ball Super. He also voiced Valkus in Final Fantasy Legend of the Crystals. He was Cars in JoJo's Bizarre Adventures. He also helped with Tenchi Muyo. That's the Yu Oki. And uh, let's see here. He also helped in films such as Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within, Kiki's Delivery Service. He also helped in uh, Tenchi Muyo in Love. Man, that's actually a really good movie, dude. He also voiced several characters in Final Fantasy X, X2, 12, and 15 as well, which is really cool. He also helped on One Punch Man, A Hero Nobody Knows. And Xenoblade Chronicles X. Yeah, it was really cool. Well, actually, that is it. So John Domino, sorry, he actually voiced Alan Elburn and Priest. So, yeah, that pretty much rounds out our cast and crew. We gave you a brief synopsis. We should give you some warnings heading into the next section. Warnings, vampire things. Yeah, I mean, this one has a little bit of blood and stuff like that. But mind you, it's all animated, so... Um, there's some spooky creatures some dark stuff supernatural stuff what I would classify as brief nudity yeah it's probably on there longer than what like television ratings would rate as brief nudity but not much longer (laughs) yeah and like some mind you it's all animated too so I mean unless you're into that stuff I'm not knocking you yeah, vampire stuff, gunplay, a little bit of like fighty, actiony, yeah, fantasy violence. There's not violence. much language, but if there is, it's not very much. Yeah, not yeah, very. not that I can really think of. Maybe like calling someone a bastard or something. Yeah, like I said, it's not very harsh at all. I don't even think there's like a get over here, you son of a bitch. No, or nothing like, like that. that. It's like, pretty tame, pretty mild for the most part. It has its moments. Like I said, don't get me wrong, it has its moments, but nothing too wild. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, nothing else that I can think of. I suppose let's uh, just get into it and talk about some Vampire Hunter D bloodlust. How does that make you squeal? Alright, Vampire Hunter D bloodlust. Coming back around to animation. Yeah, it's been a while. I think we reviewed Perfect Blue episode 165, so yeah, it's been a hot minute, man. Shit. 60 plus episodes, yeah. So, I guess we'll start out the way we do sometimes. Do you have any relation to any Vampire Hunter D? Yeah, actually I do. Not this one. This is the first time I'd seen... Bloodlust. Yeah, Yeah, Bloodlust. But I had seen Vampire Hunter D. Main reason is I did go through a stretch in high school where I was really getting into anime. Like, really Mm -hmm. getting into it. So, I want to say I'd seen, like, 
some of the films I already mentioned, Ninja Scroll, Battle Angel, watched Vampire Hunter D. I mean, tons of films. Not that I have to list them all, but yeah, I'd say I'd seen Vampire Hunter D probably like uh, three, four times, something cool. like that. Yeah, I really dug it. But I'd seen this probably like in 97, 98, something like that. So it wasn't too old by then, but it is now. Right. Yeah. yeah. Sure. But like I said, I don't have a history with the manga or bloodlust outside of this weekend. Okay. So this kind of character is fucking up and down my shit. I think I kind of got into it a little bit way back when we talked about John Carpenter's vampires, oh, but nice. like vampire hunting characters in general, I'm kind of down with like, I fucking love blade. As I said back then, like vampires was one of my favorite movies for a bit. But even more, like, particularly is, like, this weird sub-subgenre of, like, loner in a big, wide-brimmed hat taking on supernatural creatures that probably started with Solomon Kane. I don't know if that trope dates back to earlier than that character. Oh, it probably does, because... I think Solomon Kane is technically based off of like some of the fucking what's his name, the Witchfinder. Okay, nice man. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. like, like Robert E. Howard, Solomon Kane, oh. like the types of characters that wander around with a sword and a wide-brimmed hat, taking on the forces of darkness, or in more modern versions, like I would kind of count Alucard as the same kind of character. That's a good point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally my fucking shit. So. I got into D not super hard, not as much as some of the other shit, but I own the first two novels. I think in 2008, they started doing manga adaptations of the novels that were supposed to do every one of the novels, but like around book seven, I think the publisher started having some problems. Oh, and then the artist who had been, I believe, hand-selected by Hideyuki Kikuchi to do the manga series, like, got in, like, a car wreck or something oh. and, like, couldn't draw the same or something. I don't know all the details, Damn. but what was supposed to be an adaptation of every one of the books turned into an adaptation of the first eight with the eighth of which I think only being available digitally. Wow. I was collecting those originally when they were dropping, but then I ended up poor for a bit, so I had to stop buying them at book three and have just never caught up yet. And I would kind of prefer to just, like, catch up on the novel novels first and then just or maybe not because like there's only i only need to buy five more of the mangas yeah, like so i might get those out of the way first but i do want to finish reading everything that there is at some point and i kind of hope that like there's some sort of finish to the story before hideyuki dies because yeah, he's yeah. like 71 or something now but Ooh. Uh, we've I don't know how many times we've mentioned people passing on this show. So, yeah, let's hope uh, he can wrap this series up before he passes. That'd be really cool. But, yeah, I think that's a really cool history. We both have somewhat of a history. You know, they both vary, but nonetheless, we do have a history with this series. The other sort of weird tie is not like a super tie. I'm not a giant fan of the dude, but... 
the original illustrations of Vampire Hunter D that were done for the novels were done by Yoshitaka Amano, who is probably most famous for doing the art for, like, all the Final Fantasy games. Oh, makes sense. Like, if you've seen that weird sort of sort of surreal but more in like a wispy ethereal way art style of like the art that actually surrounds the final fantasy games like really interesting like it's that dude did all the original d stuff which is why d looks the way he does in bloodlust because yoshitaku didn't work on this but he designed the character and handed it over and they tried to replicate it going forward yeah i'm glad you bring that up because there are some things i noticed with the drawing technique specifically in this film Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you've ever seen the character of D and been like, oh, that looks weirdly familiar, and you're familiar with Final Fantasy, there you go. Designed oh, by the yeah, same cat. Like peanut butter and jelly just makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I have nothing but love overall for it. I've actually still never seen the first one. Okay. I know that it's based off the first novel, which I've read the novel and read the manga version, but I've still never seen the animation. Wow. But I do have, like, my Vampire Hunter D Bloodlust DVD Dude, yeah, here. Really. Over in the other room, I have the number three manga version, which I actually just read this morning. Oh, nice, so. man. Hell yeah. I haven't read that book, but I believe follows it enough that I can bring up a couple of the differences in the story. Okay, sweet. But just sort of mostly in wide strokes. I don't mind those. Mm-hmm. My first note is simply, like, this is my shit. Like, I fucking love this sort of thing. Yeah, I really do enjoy animation. It's only the second time we've done it. Being that we both like vampire stories, in this case, Vampire Hunters, and in this case, Vampire Hunter D, I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, I've never seen this. Like I said, I'm familiar with the original film, that is. So yeah, I'm like, why not, dude? I'm up for it. So because technically this is part of a long-running series, and even this is the second movie that's made, I'd say... They kind of expect you to know who D is going into it, but really there's not much to know about D. Because I haven't read all the novels. I did try to do a little bit of like more research than normal going into this. Yo, they keep him super fucking mysterious. So I guess what you need to know is D is a dampier, not fucking Dunpeel. God, I know it's like, what the fuck is a Dunpeel? Dompier is traditionally the name for half-vampires, usually vampire father, human mother. The name originates from the Balkan region. There's a, a lot of real fucking bunk info on the Wikipedia for Dompiers right now. Yeah. I looked it over and I'm like, oh no, oh, this isn't good. Somebody needs to come through and clean some of this shit up. Stat. I'm glad that I've looked this shit up in the past because somebody basically went through and just rewrote Dampier as as being Blade. Yeah, I saw that. Which isn't the traditional Dampier thing. It's more like... Actually, this fits. Remember when we talked about the fucking Witchfinder General movie? The Witch Hunters, a lot of them were basically running scams and were like, we're going to go torture and kill a couple women in your village and you're going to throw some gold our way. So people who claimed to be Dampiers back in the day basically ran the same scam, except instead of 
we have been ordered by the government to find witches, so listen to us and be scared of us. It was, I'm not entirely human, so be scared of me and listen to me, but I'll leave you guys alone if you pay me to find other supernatural creatures, which I can sense because I'm not entirely human. Yeah, exactly. So you're going to have to have faith in me, bro. <laughs> yeah. But... Like, traditionally, that's more what Dampiers could do, was they could sense other supernatural creatures. Right, in the true sense. Yeah. Not the scam artists. I'm not entirely sure, because I don't speak any of the languages over there, but from what I understand, Dampier, the name, is just like vampires and Dampiers are both called Dampier in some of the major Balkan languages. I saw that. I don't know how true it is. You can correct me if I'm wrong, too, with the etymology, like the origin of... You already said the Balkan region, but I've seen like Proto-Albanian mm. where the root dam means tooth and pier means to drink, tooth no drinker. Idea. I don't know if that's true or not. I just, once again, just read up on it. So, But, if, you know, if that's the case, it's like that's pretty cool. It makes sense if that's the case, but I don't know if that's accurate or not. But if you go and look it up and it gives you a bunch of blade shit, that's not traditional. That sort of shit came later. Oh, yeah, without a doubt, man. Other than you could argue that Dompiers were always daywalkers, but they weren't called that. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that didn't come around till later. Yeah. Blade didn't even do that shit till the movies. <laughs> I want to point that out. Like, until the fucking 1998 movie with fucking Wesley Snipes, Blade could also sense the supernatural and was immune to vampire bites. Boom, there you go. And otherwise, he was strong in shit because he worked the fuck out. It wasn't because I got a fucking vampire daddy or whatever. Right. Okay, but back to D. So he's a Dompier, and he's at least 5,000 years old, probably more like 10,000 years old. This series is set in at least the year 12,091. I think that's when the first book starts. Okay. And it's... Very unclear how much time passes between some of these stories. Dee's literally been around long enough that some of the stuff he has done has become legend. Jesus. Like, for real legend, not like we dealt with last week legend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to take more than a generation. And, like, almost nobody ever says Dracula. They always say his father was the sacred ancestor. Right. <laughs> and his mother was supposedly someone called Mina the Fair, which, if you know Dracula, that would be Mina Harker. At some point in the series, it's revealed whether or not Mina existed, and she might have been a surrogate of some kind, but he is the result of science experiments done by Dracula, okay. doing genetic manipulation, and he's the only one to survive. Oh, damn. Nice. Maybe the only one to survive. There, D might have a brother. I just told you pretty much everything that we know about his backstory. In the course yeah. of 18 novels, that's pretty much everything that's been actually revealed about his past. That sounds about right. And they allude to a lot of that stuff in this film. Mm -hmm. They keep him super fucking mysterious. He's quiet, and it's implied it's because he has seen some Shit oh, in 10,000 years? Man, could you imagine? Shit. I've seen a lot in almost 40 years, but <laughs> 10,000, damn. And he just goes around killing vampires. 
and he's not a complete asshole anti-hero. He generally tries to do the right thing, but he'll definitely do the right thing a whole lot quicker if you're paying him for it. Oh, yeah. Comes with a cost. Mm -hmm. Everything costs. He's also a weird because he's another one of those characters that unless you are his daddy, like nobody <laughs> that he runs up against is actually a match for him. Yeah, he's pretty much going to wipe you out. Kind of like Alucard. <laughs> it's hard to argue that. They have a lot of similarities. So that's the setup for the character and the universe, minus one big piece, left hand. Yes. Left hand's a whole different creature, no doubt. Literally. Like, yeah. It's supposed to be what a, like a symbiotic parasite mm -hmm. on his, literally his left hand. And he's... Basically a deus ex machina that lives in his body. That's crazy. Just a little bit from what I was reading is that it's not known necessarily when it came about, how long it's been with D, etc. It's like, it's interesting because I remember from the movie, the original movie, I said, what the fuck? This is unique. This is kind of odd, but not really. Not when you think about it. Wow. <laughs> but his left hand is kind of... Kirby. <laughs> yeah. Like left hand's biggest superpower is being able to suck pretty much anything into its mouth. Yeah. Just swallow you whole. He can do other shit that helps keep sense things and what yeah, have you. And helps keep D alive in a lot of ways. But yeah. the biggest thing is he can suck whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's not a you didn't mishear that. Which reminds me, also, even though you barely see anything of him, and it's not brought up <laughs> as much in the movie, D is supposed to be, like, so superhumanly beautiful that, like, everyone goes gaga for him looking at him. Like, ooh, damn, boy. <laughs> Eat a whole damn meal. It doesn't matter. Like, he walks yeah. in, and you're like, oh. Oh, hey. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that's where we start. I just felt like I really needed to set that no, up because you might good. not know going into. I think that's solid because if you're not familiar, regardless of this film or the franchise, novels, etc., this is at least a good starting point. Well, you also might have questions because you might watch this right. movie and be like, okay, but they didn't tell me this or they didn't tell me that. Right. And I'm here to tell you right now is they've never told any of us. <laughs> so you're not alone. D is a gigantic mystery. One of us. Yeah, you're right. Very ambiguous, has a very extensive background. we just not privy to it. Yeah, all we know is he's a badass. Yeah, that's okay. That's all we need to know. Okay. So I mentioned something earlier about the voice cast. I realized in some cases this might just be because of time period and they hadn't done some of the other roles that got them famous yet. But how in the fuck are you going to have Matt McKenzie doing Borgoff Marcus when you have John DiMaggio in the room. True. Pamela Adlin is amazing. Oh, yeah. She's Without fucking fantastic. Like, you're going to cast her as the action girl when you have Wendy Lee around? That's like, fucking point. Faye Valentine? Yeah, exactly. And that's no discredit to Pam. No, fuck. Pamela Adlin is amazing. Yeah. But, like, somebody in the room is known for kind of being anime action girls. Somebody's known for being Bobby Hill. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a solid point. There are times where you can hear some of that if you're familiar with who Pam Adlon is. And I'm like, well, I mean, 
I will talk up John DiMaggio all day long, but once you know a character is John DiMaggio, you can't unhear it. Right. It's just, it is what it is, man. You can't help but hear the voice. Even like, I thought he did a fantastic job as the sheriff until I realized the sheriff was him. And then I was like, oh, oh, wow. That's really John DiMaggio, isn't it? That is funny. <laughs> yeah, he does. Let's see, what, four different yeah. characters in this? I mean, yeah, he flexes muscles a little bit, which isn't bad, but maybe not necessarily for the right roles, per se. Yeah, I just, oh, man. There's a character I liked, the character. It's just, I even seen this in a video where they talked about that. Some of the dialogue can either be a little too close together, like the sentences. They're just kind of read through too fast, mm. where the pacing's not very good. Like, for instance, the old man in the Barbaros. Oh, yeah, the Barbaros village. Yeah, yeah, some of his dialogue is just very, just boom, 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 boom. It's just, it doesn't give you the feeling I think it's wanting to give off in those moments. It makes the characters feel a little stilted where they shouldn't be. I mean, I just bitched about a couple people I felt being miscast, but I think the VO that bugged me the most... This is a weird comparison, but I think you'll get what I'm getting at. A lot of the left-hand VO reminded me of Look Who's Talking. Yeah, that's a solid point, dude. I did feel it was a little off. Left hand was off. I said no, no discredit to Mike, Shane. I just wasn't a big fan. I wasn't feeling it. Yeah, I, I wasn't either. I felt it when I watched this movie in the past, too. Like, I dug it in the past, but I feel like I've seen that character done better since because left hand is basically like the same as like ninja ninja in afro samurai <laughs> yeah and sam jackson does a way better job at doing that character than yeah no but there is something lacking crack a lacking with these left hand left hand himself is fucking dope I love left hand I don't give a shit that it's he's an a, awesome character I don't give a shit that he's a deus ex machina whatever he comes in hand Mm -hmm. Nah, but I enjoy the character. It's unique. It is very helpful in a lot of times of need. I mean, character in general. Like one of my first notes is, "Fuck these vampire hunters are cool." They really are. I like the setup. You kind of already alluded to it too, with the lone kind of huntsman. You know, the very ambiguous, mysterious. Some can say akin to like spaghetti westerns mm -hmm. has that feel like Clint Eastwood sometimes with, you know, Pell Rider and all those movies. Especially depending on the story, honestly. This one doesn't lean into it as much, but some of the others do, like very like Yojimbo y. Good point. Mm -hmm. I even felt at times, I was like, damn, someone might have watched some Yodorowski at some point. <laughs> she gets trippy a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. So. I did enjoy that aspect of it, and it kind of leads right into it where you get this kind of a cold opening, which was really cool of just the street, city street. The lamps are starting to go out. Everything's going crooked. I mean, we know, but the whole point being is it looks like Mean Art, in this case Charlotte, her character is being kidnapped by Meyer Link. Not necessarily the case, but because of that, as a result, the brother and the father of Charlotte have – called the aid of D. Mm -hmm. They want to pay him, what, $10 million to go help get her back from um, Meyer. D's like, hey, not enough. They promised to double it. I mean, you know, the brother's a little bit of a hothead. The dad's more of the cool guy. 
but he's also hired the brother is the Marcus brothers. And that's where we get the introduction of them and Layla, which is like another character of that, which they don't really give you much of a background with them either. I mean, with her, you do learn about her background later on. Right. But with them, not necessarily. You kind of just dropped in on them. We just know they're bounty hunters of sorts. I think I might just, a lot of the things from, I'm assuming how they go in the novel. Like I said, I'm basing it off of the manga version, but I know that that was adapted straight from the novel rather than like this being a, a little bit looser adaptation with characters that don't even exist in the no- novel, like Carmilla. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I just read that. I was like, oh, shit, okay. Um, this still hits most of the points. I, I was going to bring up something about the Marcuses, but I might just save it all for the end. Oh, and no, Just do cool. it all in one big... Yeah, uh, we can just get through this and then yeah. Yeah, talk about it. Um, suffice to say that... There is a little bit more information for sure given about the Marcuses. Okay. Um, and they're a lot, they're actually a, quite a bit more fucking despicable than they're made out to be. And- oh, I read a little bit about that. So, yeah, we'll tackle that when we get to it. Mm-hmm. But in this case, yeah, they're just some bounty hunters, vampire hunters as we know it. It's really cool how you get introduced to them, too. At least I think it is their introduction where they run up on the sky asking if they've seen. Meyer Link basically mm-hmm. sweep through. The guy's like, no. Oh. We see that he's been bit. And he gets tossed down the well, and that starts a whole shit storm. And you get to see that they're all badasses. Yeah, I'm like, damn, I like this, man. This is the part of anime with the action that I enjoy. I like this style. This makes me feel like if you're ever going to do an action horror, it should just be done in animation. Oh, dude. Because oh, you can actually hell. do the action correctly. You can do some gnarly stuff. You are so limited with what you can do in action horror and live action. Yeah, I agree. With with the sort of things that you're supposed to be fighting in horror. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Yeah, and the body count on this is like, you use your imagination. <laughs> how, how much money would any one of these fucking fights have cost live action? Choreography and everything else, insurance, you name it. Dude, that first, yeah, this first Shit. Marcus Brother fight... Against the fucking the zombies in the graveyard. I mean, it would have been like cool, would have been like a two or three three day shot to get God. all that action. Yeah, so it would have been dope, but you wouldn't have got the same effect, and you'd have to probably cut corners and stuff to save money. Yeah, if you're gonna do this kind of movie, do it in this direction. Oh yeah, there is a fan base for this. It's a huge one. So, I mean, once again, like just to back it up in more of a meta sense, like how often are we kind of a little bit disappointed with action horror? You make a good point. Now this still isn't very horror-y, but it kind of is like, yeah. it's very Gothic horror-y. It's very it, atmospheric. It really is. That's a good point because the, I think the, the emotion that it plays with. Yeah. Very melancholic. Uh, yeah. It just it pulls out certain strings, which is, Perfect for a fucking vampire story, too. <laughs> yeah, of course. Like, if you're going to be going for gothic horror... This is it. Why not do it with the dudes that are fucking dressing in capes and living in castles? <laughs> yeah, these fucking nobility and these sacred ancestors and what have you. Of course. Um, anyway, fuck. The fight's awesome. They're all badasses. Um, I love the character design of... Most of the characters in this movie? Yeah. All right. Since we're right there at it, I'll 
want to go ahead and say this. That was one of the early things I noticed about this film was the character design because there's times where some of these characters made me feel like I'm watching Aeon Flux. Mm-hmm. Even like what you were saying with the Final Fantasy animation, I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, duh, totally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it has a certain aesthetic. It has a certain, to me, like that 90s, early 90s and late 90s feel kind of combined. I mean, Layla looks almost like something out of Akira or Ghost in the Shell. Dude, yeah, I mean, even the use of Something like the the motorbikes and stuff in this. <laughs> Hello, yeah, yeah. Nolt was one of the coolest fucking character designs. Like, I'm not all like you guys fucking know us. Listening to us, <laughs> we're not exactly for fucking standing beside and behind crosses and shit. But if you're going up against creatures, they actually work on. Like, being a giant fucking badass vampire hunter with a fucking white cross yeah. just across your face. Yeah. That's badass as shit if you're in that profession. That's your calling card, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? They're going to know who the fuck you are. Borgoff was a little bit more, like, generic wild manny, But yeah. to be honest, like, Kyle is kind of generic swordsman. But... Even if you don't remember their names, you remember, oh, this one's this one. Oh, this one's this one. Yeah, they're very distinctive from each other. Mm-hmm. That's without a doubt. That fight happens. Yeah, that's how they get introduced to D is because they try to shoot an arrow at him from a distance and he catches it. it happens to be in the moonlight, which I was like, damn, if you're going to do a shot like that, that's fucking dope. <laughs> I really like that. <laughs> so there was that. And that pretty much leads you know, to the chase because they're going after the carriage. Right. It's like the introductions to a lot of our main characters in this film. Well, the carriage busts out of the invisible castle. Though. Yeah, that was really dope as fuck, wasn't so it? So one of the things, I don't know how intentional this was, but I thought it was super fucking cool. So, like, one of the things we kind of didn't explain about this world is that being in the year 12,000 plus, like, the vampires ruled for a long good bit of the time, time. in between those 12,000 years. Yeah, dude, a long time. And the setting is one of those where it's everything from almost medieval to futuristic because almost all of the tech is reclaimed anyway. It's all stuff from the fall of the height of the vampire empire, I guess. Like, castles in this aren't castles. As we see later, they're generally, like, spaceports and fucking spaceships and shit. (laughs) What the hell? Yeah, yeah. And that kind of goes, like, across the board, that they're, like, castles are all these super futuristic hideouts that the nobility live in because they were the ones that afforded it back in the day. If anybody's a fan, which I think you and I both are, of the video game and perhaps Mm -hmm. the series, it reminded me of Castlevania because of that, too. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, this is familiar just based off of that. Mm -hmm. So it's a setting where, like, swords easily mix alongside modern day guns and beside like laser pistols at times and shit like that. Yeah. We get to see a good combination of both. So with the vampire defense system being lasers, which is all light and usually, you know, lights associated with sight and such, right? Him flicking a bunch of little things that the lasers have to, in super big air quotes, count. 
Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. As he makes his way. That's yeah, fucking funny. Right. The ADHD aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I don't know if that was on purpose, but when I was watching that I and I was so. thinking about like vampire mythology, I'm like, this kind of fits, right? I think maybe on the sly. I like it if that's the case. Because that's an addition for the movie, by the way. Most of the time, and I believe in the novel, that blue pendant that he wears around his neck is also nobility technology. And it allows him to basically just walk by most of their defense systems. So, like, in the novel, he just walks up to that thing. Like, he he doesn't have to flick anything. anything. It's not until the Marcuses show up that, like, the lasers fucking go off. Right, because it's picking them up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like fucking idiots. (laughs) But also, like, the idea of, like, the cloaking technology wasn't straight invisibility so much as it was almost like a mirror of everything around it. And so, like, vampires and mirrors and playing with all that. It's clever. It really is. It's combining all these, yeah, these elements of folklore and mythology and all that stuff into it. I like it. I will say this, too. Maybe it's me reading into it because we're talking about vampires here, but I did notice the hopping vampire a little bit. I don't think they were playing too much into mm. it, but it was like at the beginning where they were driving off the Marcuses, that is, in their armored vehicle or whatever, and some of those vampires earlier on were kind of hopping after them. Oh, shit. Yeah. Huh, I wonder how much that was on purpose or not. I don't know if it was or not. Like I said, maybe I'm reading into it, but that was about the only time you ever saw it, which is in that maybe two, three second window. That was about it. So here's something. Once again, I don't think this was an intentional contrast, but I find it really interesting that it comes up anyway. Although we've yet to talk about it formally for the show, a long while ago, we let the listeners know when we watched through like all of Helsing Ultimate. Oh, dude. And we're both at this point now familiar with the main story of Helsing. I've also read it in manga form. However, Ultimate is almost... Shot for shot. There's very, very minor differences. So you pretty much know the manga as well because it's that close. Nice. So I thought it was interesting contrasting, like D is supposed to be Dracula's son and he's going after his father because... That's what kids do. Because that's what you do. (laughs) Very Castlevania-y. We know Alucard's going after Dracula there too, right? Yes, 100%. Alucard is Dracula, right? (laughs) Yeah. So contrast Alucard putting a hole through police girl's chest mm. to D patching up a hole. Right. That's solid, man. Like I said, there are some parallels. You can't help but notice it. Once again, I don't think that was on purpose. I don't think Kota Hirano, the writer of uh, Helsing, intentionally like wrote police girl's <laughs> action bit in a way to reverse this scene from Vampire Hunter yeah. D, but it happened. Right. I mean, it could be just mere coincidence, dude. And it makes sense for those Both. characters. It certainly does. That's And the way they approach things. God damn. That's pretty wild when you think about that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Especially when we watch as much stuff as we have. <laughs> they have some overlapping parallels. It was really cool. This story in particular does a lot of fun things, I feel like, with things that you generally kind of quote-unquote know about vampires and Dracula because a good portion of this is the vampire being on the run, being chased by hunters <laughs> right? while being aided by, in this case, Barbaroi. Dracula, of course, 
If you've actually read the book, you know that he was being transported by gypsies who got in a big shootout with the heroes before they catch up to Dracula. That's right. You're right. Because that shit was crazy. They were transporting him. Yeah. And in this case, you have to fucking take on the, the Barbaroi Bar yeah. before you get to Myrling. Makes sense. You're right. You're absolutely fucking right. It's crazy. But it's just right. that this is a Mina that loves her Dracula. Yeah, you're right. She's not the one who's being coerced into it. She's like, no, she genuinely loves Myrling. Mm -hmm. It's like, whoa, okay. Uh, that's different. <laughs> there is a part of me that wonders with all the supernatural powers that are bestowed upon these vampires and even D only being half vampire can like enchant people practically only with his looks. How certain can anyone truly be that she actually loved Myerling? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or if it's just influence from his powers. Could be too, yeah. You're absolutely right. You're right. It's that weird power imbalance thing, but whatever. Like, I kind of like the sappy romantic version of this. I like, do too. Because the way the story kind of weaves into all these different tales within tales, mm -hmm. you know, little subplots, I like it. It makes sense. It fits for what I think this film was going after and its overall storytelling. Mm -hmm. I got no problem with it. The Barbaroi are fucking dope. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because it reminded me of another film we reviewed a long time ago. Oh, so shit. It reminded me of when we get introduced to the Nightbreed oh, in Meridian. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like it reminded me a lot of that. Just like these characters coming in and out of scenes and like holes and, you know, little crevices. I was like, ah, this is really cool. It reminded me a lot of that. And the three main Barbaroi that fight. They're dope. Yeah, Bengi. Yeah, there's Bengi, Caroline, and Mashira. Mashira, who is simplified to being a werewolf in this. I will expand upon that later. Okay. Yeah, there's some interesting things going on physiologically with this character. Yes. That is a callback to what he actually is in the book. Okay, awesome. I think they just refer to Caroline as a shapeshifter. That makes sense. I was going to say that. She's more of She's that. She's a damp here. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. They don't make that clear at all in this, if that's the case. Oh, I did not know that. That's really cool. And Bengi can do yeah. the, the shadow shit. And that makes sense. And that was fucking dope. I loved all of Everything that. about that was fucking cool. The That's way he scary. was like creating it, doing the fucking cat's cradle. And it's like, so dope. You're like, what the fuck? But it makes sense. That's where it gets a little but trippy. It, it doesn't make any sense, but it well, makes sense when you're watching it. I mean, like, for its character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like, if you're going to be that fucking shadowy and creepy and bizarre, all of this makes sense in a weird, nonsensical way. I can't remember. Who did Bengi's voice again? Uh, Dwight Bengi, Schultz. Yeah. Did a great job. However, with the characterizations he was putting into the voice, I couldn't help but think how yeah. awesome it would be if all of that was redone by Mark Hamill. Oh, my God damn. Are you kidding me, dude? Dude, Shit. Mark Hamill would destroy that role. Yeah, that and probably the old man because his voice, once again, by Dwight. No mm -hmm. discredit, but I think that's, you know, that's a solid point because those two characters actually were in the video I watched that was revealing this film. Imagine the pacing of some of the line delivery. It was a little off. Either it was a little too drawn out or which is not spaced enough in the sentences. Like, for instance, when the old man is talking to Dee and is paying him a compliment on his beauty, 
is the way he was delivering it. It's too fast in the delivery. Like, does it make you feel uncomfortable? Does it? Did it it's like, no, you need to slow that down if mm -hmm. you're going to be flirting with somebody. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you might be nervous and excited, but you also got to be smooth with it. <laughs> but anyway, aside from that, the characters are fucking dope. I enjoyed how they incorporated their abilities when they're fighting the Marcus brothers and sometimes with D as well. It's really cool. When it's the first big dust up with the Barb Roy is when we get to see how powerful Grove is. Dude, that was fucking dope. Because I was wondering, I was like, I wonder how the fuck D's going to get out of this. And then, yeah, he shows up. And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> and it was awesome. He's all light and just all spirit energy. And a dumbass. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. But what part of looking at what D was doing makes you think that the Barbroy just got away from me, so maybe I should turn around and attack this guy. Oh, what a fucking dummy. That made no sense. Yeah, yeah, what was he thinking? Just keep running after the Barbroy. Fucking moron. D wasn't going after him. No. Not until he tried to shoot something at him. Yeah, then that was like, nah, homie, I gotta slice you down. It's Any like good. an Adam Chaplin. Like, don't point the fucking gun at him, bro. <laughs> Precisely, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of these films got learned. <laughs> but that's okay. It's like... uh in a way, it's like a morality story. Like, don't do that. Don't pick up that gun. Don't swing that sword at you. Whatever. Don't be that guy mm -hmm. or girl, whatever. But it sends his ass back into the armored van, that is, because it, from what I understood, too, I think the difference, you can correct me here, too. I read that his character in the novel, he is supposed to have that out-of-body, like, spiritual thing because it was induced by seizures? Yes. Okay. And he has them sometimes anyway. Right. But they induce him to be able to get work out of them too. Mm. Now, does the serum have anything to do with it in the novel? Yes. Okay. Okay, I wasn't sure if that was just an introduction into the movie or not. Okay. And, yeah, he sacrificed. Oh, I mean, oh, spoiler. Uh, yeah, he sacrifices himself later on. But I didn't know if that was something that happened in the novel or not. The sacrificing himself? Yeah. No. Okay. We'll save it. I'm yeah. just curious. We'll the, save it. The Marcus stuff plays out differently because there's no Carmilla. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. I'll save it because we, we'll eventually get to what happens with all these Marcus brothers. Okay. Cool. Actually, yeah. Some people are killed by different people, basically. Mm. Okay. okay. Like, like the first I one who gets it names. because we're, we're getting close to it. Oh, Nolt. Doesn't get killed by Bengi oh, wow. in the novel. He okay. gets killed by D. No shit. Okay. That changes things. Well, yeah, because D, at least, he makes mention that he doesn't kill humans in the movie. Right. Or he hasn't. Wow, that changes things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, that's kind of interesting because Noel gets it good, man, in this, because they are playing in the shadows, or at least Bengi is, or Bengi. And i like, damn, that was pretty dope. It's clever because it, they think they're seeing the carriage of Meyerling mm -hmm. and then they go out this being the Marcus brothers and Nolt takes a swing at it and it's just a fucking curtain or whatever mm -hmm. no it's not <laughs> it's fucking shadow manipulator and that's when I'm like man these fucking dudes are out of their element but then when you see like when fucking Borgoff finally gets them back no they're capable they're capable they're they just capable. didn't know what they were up against yeah that's, I fucking love that sort of shit when, like, 
It's dope, man. We've ran into some of that in the past where, like, we have capable characters, they just don't know what they're up against. And I love that in this, we get to see both sides. Like, there's yeah. enough of them around that even when one gets took out, the others can adapt. Right. It's not wiping the whole squad out. Mm -hmm. He's just like, fuck. We lost this dude. Yeah, so he's the first one to get it. But you're right. They thwart the attack and then keep marching on or what have you. But what he tells them, Nolt, that is, before he dies, is to watch out for the shadows. He says, the shadow, watch out for the shadows. Mm -hmm. All right, so they keep that in mind. Oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. But yeah, so that's what also happens is he gets put in that web, that weave. That was kind of cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh, shit, because then that horse dies and shit. <laughs> that was Dude, that horse up. going splat was pretty <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> that, was fucked up. <laughs> that was pretty good. But I was that was like, actually okay. pretty fucking gnar. It was like a split second, but I was like, oh. <laughs> I liked uh, how Caroline, she just kind of like, as the armor truck or whatever is going after Bangi and mm -hmm. you know, the whole crew, she just steps out in the middle of that fucking path, and they think they run her over, and she does the shape-shifting, and she morphs herself. The only problem, it, was, it looked dope as shit. The only problem I have is how are you going to cause that many spikes inside something Not and anything. only like barely wing Kyle. Yeah. I'm thinking the same thing as like, um, uh, it was dope as fuck. Yeah. I liked everything about it, but, <laughs> but how are you going to do that? And miss All right. yes. everybody It's an animation. I, I get it, but you're right, man. Just come on. <laughs> it's going to do a lot more damage inside than when it happened. Let's be honest here. It's like that's a that's a T two moment, man. It's gonna fuck you up. And that crash is also gonna super oh. fuck up Grove. Dude, <laughs> he's already frail as fuck as it is. Grove just broke every bone. <laughs> yeah, he didn't make it. <laughs> he didn't make it. Uh, uh I'm not believing that. But you're right. You're right. Even Kyle, they were like he was on top. And yeah. then when you get introduced back to him, he's just like, shh, be quiet. <laughs> out there. <laughs> get the fuck out of here. But like I said, I'm going to write it off because it's an animation. It's cool. It's cool. It works. Plus, it's rule of awesome, and, like, this is an action movie. Right. And It's action horror. I'm not going to We have to that. let those action rules come in, yeah, right? Yeah, I'm not going to knock that. We've seen crazier shit. Okay, so D's left hand, he calls out for its help, and it swallows up that spell, and that's what frees him, and that's what kind of, like, gets Bengay kind of like, oh, shit, mm -hmm. that's happening. I think a little bit later on, the, the next note I kind of have is how... Like, my notes actually skip forward quite a bit from that because, like, the fight... Like, there was only so much I could say, like... Yeah. I can say over and over, these fights are fucking dope. They're cool. No but doubt like, about it. But there wasn't too much other than... There was a, a couple fights that are simply fights that advance the plot. Like, yeah, yeah Borgoff gets his revenge on Bengi. Cool. Right. My next note is that old man kept the fucking sheriff alive in that town. I, that was actually what my next note is getting into is how because the horse had fucking died and because actually who was it? Layla. She enters that town and she runs into the sheriff because she's got that big fucking gun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, but the whole time is D is he's buying a new horse. He runs into the old guy. The sheriff busts in because she tells him is like, oh, I didn't realize you had a dumb peel dampier in town. And then they lose their shit and they pull their guns on D Sheriff and his boys, that is his deputies. You know and they, they're right. The old guy's like, hey, no, you guys are fucking up. He bought this outright. Get the fuck out of here. Her using their essentially bigotry against them like that reminded me so much of Django Unchained. 
That's him funny. just bringing fucking Django in to get a drink in the bar. Yeah. That's solid. That's what I'm saying. Some of this, those spaghetti westerns, these stories, I think they did a good job of like borrowing little elements from those things. Mm-hmm. And even if they didn't, it still, it works. Yeah. He might have been pointing a big ass cannon at him, but that old man kept that fucking sheriff alive. He really did. D would have fucked every single one of them up in a split second. He was just was waiting. That. Give me an excuse. Yeah. Give me a fucking Go ahead excuse. and fuck up. Make my day. <laughs> yeah, the sheriff's like, nah. I was that young kid. Let him go before you about to learn. And <laughs> 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 you don't want to learn today. So you're right. And I was thinking the whole time too. I was like, the way that Layla is hiding. In the shadows, it's like there's no way that D didn't see her ass on the way out. Oh, D 100 percent knows that she's there. <laughs> like, come on, man. I just I thought that was funny. Anyway, look, if we're being honest, D probably like somehow in his oh he knows super being a badass way like overheard the initial conversation in the bar, even though oh, it was a fucking saying. block away. Like he fucking, he's super aware of everything that's happening. All right, because of this, the next little bit that we get is. The carriage carrying Myrling and Charlotte stops because she wants to experience the sunlight still. Mm-hmm. Right? It gives alarm a little bit to Mashira, but, you know, it's like, no, everything's cool. Just let her walk around. Well, what that does is that brings out a couple more characters again. One of them being D, the other one being Layla. <laughs> and uh, because of that, we get some other characters. Caroline comes out too, which is really cool because what happens is... Layla, she thinks she's going to get Charlotte, and she doesn't. And because she's trying to also, like, tell Dee she was going to get the bounty, Caroline winds up stagging up. Layla, that whole shit starts. Dee, he gets a little bit sun poisoned, too, during right. that whole bit. I don't know how far, because I'm kind of mixing this up. I thought some of those, what do they call those, flying mantas? That was kind of cool, too. That, that was fucking dope. That was dope as shit. I won't go ahead and say that. I can't remember how far into that that was, but I liked it. That's another one of those things like you're going to cut that you scene. Can't get that in, live action. Yeah, you know, you're going to cut that scene in live action because that's a million dollars you don't have to fucking spend on animation. That was it. not only that, but if you're trying to pull that off with like green screen and stuff, it's going to look like dick. Yeah. Yes it is. <laughs> I mean, you could try. A little tiny dick too. I was like, you could try, but yeah, it's going to look. Just give it up. Might as well be a clit. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll really like that. Anyway, the battle with Caroline was really cool. Like I said, D gets kind of sun poisoned, but he still has enough energy to, to fight her off. He slices that tree, and then he winds up getting her in half, which was really cool. I mean, she's not dead, but it thwarts her because what it does is it takes her out of that shape-shifting element. Like, she used nature, the tree, and whatever mm-hmm. to blend in. But after he beheads her, you actually see her, I guess her hair is woven into the tree, yeah. And her eyes kind of, so it was like, okay, she's not dead, but she got thwarted. It was still kind of cool. But earlier on, because of what happened with Layla, she attacked somebody early. Oh, that, she tried to attack Myrling. She like blasted at him and he deflected her attack and she got shot in the process. You've right, already right. kind of brought that yeah. up. But D banded her up and she thought that D was like trying to take advantage of her or whatever. She was super defensive about it. But she also called up her mom. He's like, no, nah, I just, Figured, you know, I heard you call it your mom. Maybe, maybe you should go go see her. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, because of his sun poisoning, she decides to return the favor. She buries him so he can recover. It starts to rain. She takes cover with him. 
they have that little dialogue, which is really cool. So they don't bring it up in the movie, but here's an example of how powerful D is compared to most other Dompiers. Left hand in the novel brings it up to him. He's like, yo, like, it's the fucking sun sickness, isn't it? Like, I wish I could warn you about this better, but it's so hard to gauge with you. He's like, if you were a normal Dampier, it'd be almost on the clock once every six months. And it would be like two to three days of recovery. Gotcha. With D, this is his first time in five years, and he only needs like half a night recovery. Yeah, I read it can be as little as maybe an hour, depending, in six. But yeah, I heard it's like short in comparison. Yeah. That's so instead of like six months on the clock, yeah, once five in years, five years, dude. and can just practically shrug it off. I know, yeah, we, we saw he was still thwarting attacks. He was still good, you know, and then she returned the favor, and she's like, okay, now we're even Stevens. But also what I liked about this, too, it kind of pays dividends later on in the film. This is another one of those little touches in these films I like, is they make a pact. That pact is another one of those things that feels very, like, Western slash samurai movie to me. Absolutely. I did like that. It's kind of like an honorable thing. Mm-hmm. You know, one person's fearful. One person's like, I've lived long enough to know the outcome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I think he had enough foresight. So he's like, okay. The whole point, I was like, I like that though. But she's like, you know, whoever dies first, <laughs> we'll bring the other one some flowers to the grave. I was like, okay, that's cool. There's actually something a little bit else later on that I thought was set up. There's a line that she says, Layla, she actually says it to Charlotte as she slaps her because she's like, how can you love him? She like bitch slaps her. Oh, right. And then she's like, get up. She kind of says that to her former self when she encounters her former, like her child self. Right. In the illusion. So it lets you know that was probably something that was said to her and she's Mm -hmm. using that as a refrain. That's all she knows. But... I was like, okay, that's kind of interesting that they mirror that later on. Anyway. Everything's sort of starting to come to a head at this point, right? Because right. they're, they're almost there. Yeah, so skipping ahead a little bit. The Marcus brothers are tracking the carriage. The carriage is on the way to the castle of Chaith, which is where Carmilla's at. This was a cool shout-out. Carmilla Bathory. Yes, Elizabeth Bathory. Yes. And Carmilla, do you know Carmilla? Um, let me think. Carmilla is, is it from the 1800s? Yeah, so Carmilla was a Irish lesbian vampire story that predates Dracula by like 26 years. I want to say Redemption Films. I could be wrong, but I think like there's a French director who kind of explored a lot of these sensual vampire stories. Mm. I think Carmilla was one of the characters. <laughs> I could see fucking what's his name doing a goddamn Carmilla. Jess Franco. And yeah, Jess Franco. I'm going to say there's <laughs> a similar French director during that time period, the 70s, that was doing shit like Jess mm-hmm. Franco, but it was French. Yeah. But still um, sexy. But Carmilla is like deep cut vampire reference because, awesome. like I said, that predates Dracula. Yeah, and Dracula goes back a bit. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. I just appreciated that character even existing. You know yeah, what I mean? Dude. Like, oh shit. What? Well, it's like. Because you've seen the first movie. Yeah, I have. It's the been no- a hot minute, but yeah. The noble in this and that one. Do you remember the name? I couldn't tell you. Like I said, it's been a while. I can't remember. Magnus Lee. So, Christopher Lee. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> descended from Charlemagne. That's awesome. Magnus. 
That's fucking funny. <laughs> That's awesome. I like it though. I like it. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's just people doing localization huh. really well because I've never gotten to read Possibly. these in the original Japanese. Yeah, but what? it might just be that dude really knows how to work in some deep cut fucking wow. well done vampire lore references and shit. And that makes me wonder too mm. because we've already mentioned. Well, Carmela doesn't exist in the book, so this would be the director. That's what I'm saying. I wonder if this is more of an interjection. I don't know if it's the Japanese side or if it's because there was an English adaptation too that mm -hmm. they were interjecting some things. I even read that this guy named Bruce Irving went uncredited and he did a lot of production on like Sabrina the Teenage Witch and some other oh, shows shit. and shit. So it makes me wonder too, like where was his interjection with the story? Mm -hmm. I don't know. But you're right. This does have a, a lot of Western influence even though we mentioned there's a combination of Japanese who's directing and writing and all this other stuff, but with a very Western aesthetic mm -hmm. storytelling as well. Yo, the fucking Myers plot is amazing. Vampires in space. What? Yes, please. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, and then you get <laughs> Bathory's speech and she's talking about how much fucking spaceships vampires used to have at like the oh, height of the whoa, empire and shit. Like, dope. Yeah, they're just traveling all over the place. I'm not going to lie, like, the fucking vampire empire sounds fascinating. Well, if there hasn't been, that would be a really cool animation to see. The, the rule of the nobility or yeah. whatever, like... Yeah, that's a really cool realm to explore. You really could. That's pretty dope. I'm not against that. And, yo, yes, like, of course, if you're a vampire, you'd want to go live in space. That's the fucking eternal night. Yeah, always night. That's so fucking cool. Yeah, you're always powerful. You don't have to worry about. Does rest. it count as always being night? Like, uh, can possibly. you like, like if you're Creep in space, a... can the sun's rays hit you? Like, is that what you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, that's a solid point because you would. I mean, technically, yeah, but I don't know how that works. <laughs> yeah, well, where? <laughs> what side does the like magic of this come down? On? You know, where does the supernatural of law of this line up? Well, all right, all right. We already know that they're astronauts and rocket scientists if they're building spaceships and shit. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure they got that space side figured out. They got it figured out. <laughs> they got it figured yeah, out. Yeah, they got it better than us. I'm just going to say, like, not enough things play with the idea of vampires in space. Yeah, I know, right? Maybe we're dawning on something, dude. <laughs> I like it. Vampires in space. Come on, guys. Make it happen. The bloodlust of the title, in a lot of ways, is Carmilla's own bloodlust. It really is. Yeah. Which you don't really realize till later. Also, bloodlust was almost an afterthought anyway. It really was. They uh, just needed something to differentiate it from the first movie. But Yeah, yeah that's without a doubt. Which is funny, yeah, because you don't really get that to like, not even the final third is more like the final eighth of the film, something like that. When you get her whole storyline, right? Mm -hmm. Carmilla, that is. A little bit before we even get the introduction to her and the castle, which is really, really cool. I really enjoy that, is how some of these other characters are offed. Like, oh, for instance, yeah. Kyle and Borgoff. So they decide they're going to pull this old stunt by setting explosives to keep the carriage from going across the bridge. And so they do for a little bit. They actually get the draw out Myerling because he's trying to go after Charlotte because they got her. And they're like, you make my job easy because he's on fire. Mm -hmm. But, it, you know, it shows how strong their love is. And then she threatens to kill herself. She's like, fuck it. <laughs> you know? But what happens is because they thought they got Mashira earlier. 
his vision sequence was kind of really cool too is while that all that stuff was going on i guess he was setting the explosives down below because he comes up and fucking kills kyle and then he claws out borgov's eye yeah fucks them up pretty good and uh they escape as a result mm-hmm. because borgov is like fuck i'm jumping down and the explosives go off fucks him up still layla sees all that from above and like i said that carries them into the castle and then yeah we get the whole introduction. You think everything is going to be hunky-dory with Carmela because she's very sympathetic to the whole cause of love. And like I said, you talked about the spaceship and the stars with the vampires. It used to be a thing that you always did. So she offers up that spaceship she happens to have in the castle. That castle's fucking boss, dude. It's so like, God cool, damn. Right? <laughs> God damn. Dude, I love these future fucking... The drawings Sci-fi are awesome. castles, dude. I was like, damn, this is fucking dope. Yeah, pretty lavish, pretty intricate. I like all of it. Futuristic feeling, too, mm-hmm. you know. But no, she backstabs him, really, because what we get next is like the splitting of characters. She uses illusion. That's like some of her powers. We learned that she had a reign of like 5,000 years, that blood lust reign. She was getting out of control. And so the sacred one, Dracula essentially comes back, kills her in her sleep using his dragon sword. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's a nice little touch too. <laughs> With the whole folklore, exactly. blood Dracula, yeah, all that. I was like, the okay. Dragon, order Love, the dragon. Yeah, I was like, that's so fucking dope. All right. <laughs> I liked all that. But she's using phantoms and demons in this case, right? She makes Myerling think that D has Charlotte and that Charlotte actually wants to go back with her family. Yes. And it fucks him up. Because B winds up getting sliced in half. You think maybe he's she dead. She gets the drop on him, basically. Right. Then she thinks she's going to get Charlotte by using the mirror to get mm-hmm. her to follow Myerling up this, really like a crimson staircase. Everything's in red. And then she tries to lure D in, which is kind of cool, too, using his mother. Yeah. It's, this skips ahead a bit, but the fucking melodrama of her biting charlotte oh yeah oh <laughs> the whole camera spin and oh all my of that. god but i'm like it's kind of perfect for the gothic atmosphere oh 100 the, even the score highlights that mm-hmm. like the, i have to say we, we haven't mentioned that at all but the score really highlights a lot of these sequences in the film it fits perfect but it's so extra it is, it is extra <laughs> i was like that was like very theatrical very yes. sp- yeah, stage feeling, but the pose like dabbing out. <laughs> Hell yeah, the light, the score, yeah, everything about that was super gothic and flamboyant. It is the most vampire it. biting <laughs> a chick was, it was. image that you can come up with, and it was super dramatic because then you know we we know it's an illusion, but she comes out of the illusion, she's bleeding, and you got fucking corpse bride upstairs. <laughs> waiting on that blood and yeah she comes out all all that really does is d comes out of the illusion he knows he's the illusion he slices his quote-unquote mother in the illusion he comes out of it layla's stuck in her illusion of seeing her childhood self i guess mourn her parents grave Mm -hmm. and she's trying to console herself and she's like you know it's all right not your fault within the illusion d snaps her out of it you know that brings in Borgoff, who, the way he got it is he thinks he sees Kyle and Nolt 
in those coffins, and he winds up getting stabbed in the back yep. with the spears. Okay, so that, that offs him. He gets turned because we find out as he's holding Layla hostage, threatening to bite her where he could have done several fucking times over. <laughs> like, what are you waiting on, bro? He's turned. I'm trying to think how. Do you remember how he gets it? I'm not sure what his end game once he's turned is. Though. Yeah, it's kind of silly. Oh, I know. Fucking what's his face comes back in. Grove. Grove winds up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, saving the day. Injecting himself. All that nonsense. So that leaves her alone. That leaves D alone. That leaves Charlotte Bit now. Yes. Okay. It's pretty. I really like how they have D basically kill Carmilla's spirit mm-hmm. and Meyer kill her body. That's a good point. Yes. Because he does. He, he stabs her spirit. Mm-hmm. He comes up out of that shit. Yeah. Gets her. And as she's coming out of that, yeah. You're right. Meyerling's like, nah, bitch. <laughs> that was a pretty neat moment. They worked in tandem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whether it was inadvertent or not, it worked. <laughs> yeah. So once they do defeat her, the last thing she kind of says before left hand sucks her up is she makes a huge mention of whether or not he is the son of, it's another euphemism or whatever for Dracula. Oh, fuck. What does she call him? Because once again, it's not Dracula. Nobody says Dracula. Oh, Vampire King. She's like, are you yeah. the son of the Vampire King? And then, yeah, then fucking <laughs> she gets sucked up. All right. This starts the battle between Meyerling and D, which is cool. It doesn't really have a resolve until, uh, which is kind of sad, is Charlotte's dead. Yeah. And at that point, Layla's had enough. She takes the ring off. And she just wants it to end. And she wants to fucking throw it at them. D winds up stabbing Meyerling, but he this spares him. a really well done twist. Because like, you get wow. the stab, but then you hear Meyer's voice. And he's why like, did why did you miss? You're like, hold my on, heart. Hold on, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, well, she's dead. I got the ring. That's all I need. I'm getting paid, bro. You can leave. Do whatever you need to do. Now, I ain't going to do anything to you. When the- it's all sad because it's essentially all the... When I say they, Meyerling and Charlotte, all they wanted to do is go to the city of the stars. And she died before that could happen. But he promised. He's like, no. She said, you let me dream it. He's like, no, we're actually going to do it. And so, yeah, he sets off and does that. With super advanced vampire technology and how newly dead she is, do you think there's any chance he's able to bring her back up there? I would hope so. I mean, you know, in this story's case, I think there's a possibility. She's still fresh, fresh enough. Hell, if you can do it with reanimator, <laughs> you got 10,000 years in this technology. Yeah. I think there's a shot. He's a noble too. Right. So yeah. Yeah. He's got some clout. I don't know. The, why did you miss my heart? Yeah. Feels extremely poignant because yeah, yeah. like D didn't miss his heart. But his heart still just died, which is part of the reason why D lets him live. I think by that point, D is looking for any out he can. Yeah. But he has signed on to do a certain job and he's going to do it. Especially because yeah. he, he's not fond of letting a noble live. Mm-mm. No, no, no. Because he has made it known like he wants to kill all of them. But if this noble is removing himself from the earth anyway. Yeah, he's not a bother anyway, dude. He's already removed himself from the equation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you go out, play out in space. <clears throat> go for it. Eventually, Layla dies of old age. D visits her grave. 
Yeah, which is cool, you know. It, that's cool. That, but that's what I'm saying. You know, it it wraps up that whole. As soon as they cast. made that pact, you knew it was coming, though. It's one of those things in films, whether it's live action, animation, whatever. You know what it's setting up, mm-hmm. and you know it delivered on the goods, and it was fine. And we also learned in that sequence that he does not age at all. I mean, we already learned that earlier, but you see her granddaughter. So who knows how much time has passed? 40, 50 years, whatever. Right. Yeah. Who knows? But. Yeah, and then D sets off another journey. Left hand's pretty much, you know, hey, you're not that bad of a guy. You just dress bad. <laughs> yeah, but overall, like I said, uh, fun film, man. I really did enjoy the shit out of it. I really did. I'm glad we so, chose another animation. So D being willing to let Meyer live kind of plays into some of the changes from the book. Okay. So I'll get into some of those that I know. Like I said, probably five times now. I haven't read the book, only the streamlined manga version, so I'm sure some of what I said was even streamlined from the way it happens in the book, but I do trust that version to be I closer mean, I was than say closer the, to the source. Yeah. So the Meyer thing makes sense because one of the things that's established in the book is that D already knows of him by reputation because he's possibly the only noble that he ever heard his subjects say good things about. Oh, that's pretty cool. Like D's already like everything I've heard about, like this guy might be nobility, but literally everything I've heard in my 10,000 years walking the earth is that he's actually a pretty good guy. That's clout. That's street cred. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So he's already like that plays into that a little bit. The Marcuses, the Marcus clan. Okay, first off, everybody's bounty hunters, so it's actually set up through a system. It's not the old man just offering them money in the novel. What actually happened was the old man, they show up and the old man tells them what they're supposed to do, but he's already been turned. Everybody in the town is dead. Gotcha. He's dead, his son's dead, everyone's fucking done for. He doesn't have this like, bombed-out house on the fucking side of a cliff with a yeah, bunch Red of mercenaries. Yeah, Red Dead Redemption-style shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's dead, you find out later, because when Charlotte came back from seeing Meyer one night, her dad guessed that she was out with the noble and started beating her ass. Mm. And so Meyer kills him by biting him. Gotcha. He bites his fucking neighbor who finds his corpse and sets off a chain reaction. Gotcha. So I'm assuming, I know what it means by assuming, but so it sounds like her father was the first one to get bitten and that started the chain reaction. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just want to clarify. But presumably this job is still viable because within, you know, the bounty system that exists in the world, he set up the bounty. So he probably just deposited the money with somebody and upon proof that this bounty is fulfilled, yeah. they are still going to get the payout whether he's dead or alive. <laughs> Fucking Witcher style. Right? <laughs> hey man, there's so many crossovers. This is crazy. I love it. Oh, dude, the Witcher is like another like way up there with that trope of like monster hunters that I just fucking love. Yeah. No, I think it's fun, man. It combines so many different elements in this case. Maybe it was a director said early on with like horror in general, especially when you're doing animation says you don't want to make it 100% horror because it kind of has a connotation, especially in Mm -hmm. Japan, right? 
he says, so that's part of the reason why they set some of this in like the future, like distant future. So that way you could say it's messing with sci-fi. Right. And you can combine the elements and people are like, oh, they're more inclined to jump on board with sci-fi. And then you throw the horror at them in, you know, little doses here and there. So, so basically the first fight in this movie, the bloodlust in the graveyard is actually the town right after they get the job. Gotcha. And right after that fight, Borgoff basically turns to the darkness and goes, he wasn't speaking to us. He was speaking to you. <laughs> that's funny. Because D's actually just like waiting out in the forest. Yeah. Because funny. he was the one that was called for the job. The Marcuses just happened to show up as well to also get the bounty. Yeah, like, well, all right. <laughs> now, it's established early on that the Marcuses have probably killed over 100 nobility themselves. They are, like, super known, but anyone who takes the same bounty as them also gets killed. They're notorious huh. for offing other bounty hunters. That, I can't remember the name of the family, but that sounds like something we reviewed with... I Saw the Dead. Oh, clans. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you don't take the same bounty. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you don't take the same bounty as the Marcuses because they'll kill you to claim the bounty. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. I like it. In this, Borgoff's just kind of an all-around badass, but doesn't really have anything special about himself. He's not the guy with the big hammer. He's not the super quick swordsman. He's just sort of leader guy. Gotcha. He has an ability in the novel. And once he gets a good enough impression of seeing somebody, he can use a scrying mirror to locate in on them. That's partially how they're such effective hunters. That's pretty cool. So he scries out D and uses a little bit extra magic he has, which I think he even comments, like, probably cost him a couple years of his life. But he manages to, like, call down lightning upon D as he's crossing a bridge because apparently Dompiers are supposed to stiffen up in the wet. D's way more powerful than that. Yeah, you fucking went the wrong one. So they knock him into a river thinking that he's going to stiffen uh, up, yeah, and yeah. then he sends Nolt out. He's like, go finish him off and catch back up with us. Uh, okay. That's when D kills Nolt. Okay. I gotcha. So they're trying to fuck with D. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are fucking with him. Yeah, they fucked up. That's on them. Whew. Oh, I read a big bad something about them. Yeah, like Layla's basically their sex slave, and they all take turns with her. And there's even, like, after Grove's first seizure, like, when he gets brought back, one of the things he's pissed about is that he gets sent into a seizure and sent into battle while, like, Kyle gets to stay back and have his... Yeah, fucking Raper. Damn. Like, he's not as close with her as he is in this. Yeah, it's kind of made... He's pissed at Kyle. I'd say it's made out that Grove seems like he might be in love with Layla in the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. They have some kind of relationship, but yeah, oh, that's gross in the novel. Kyle is by far the most fucked up of them and very much delights in being able to send his brother Grove into these seizures <laughs> that's to make them work for him. Damn, yeah, sadist. Partially just because he knows that, like, while Grove's out working, there's no reason for him to be out working, so he has extra time to rape Layla. God damn. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that puts them in a whole different light. Yeah. Jesus, man. D's the one that kills Bengi. Uh, 
but it's still kind of the same way. Like I said, he does the sort of like flicking splinters to get by the lasers in the book. In the novel, I don't know if he's setting the end on fire. He does know some magic. He just only likes to use it as a last resort. I don't know if he's lighting them up with fire or just like magical light. Uh But he basically starts flicking splinters into the shadow to pin Bengi in place. And then eventually gets one through his throat, kind of the same way that Borgoff does in the... Gotcha. Yeah, because it was pretty clever. Because, yeah, he was raining down those arrows and he thought he was out of it. What's her name? The Barbaroi. Oh, Caroline. Caroline is a Dompier. Yeah, you actually, who's not as cool. powerful as D to the point where I think like she's even like called a fake at some point. But that means she can do like vampirish things. So she can drink the life fluid of something and take it under her control. Okay. So her fight with D isn't in a forest. It's in like a junkyard. where she has, like, sucked the oil, which is the lifeblood of these, like, anti-monster machines that had been laying there for, like, a hundred years or something. And, like, turns them into, like, a giant fucking hand that she's, like, attacking them with and shit. That's fucking gnarly, dude. Goddamn. Got some imagination. He doesn't really take her down so much as just, like, get away alive. And that's when, like, the sun stuff still happens, and he has to bury himself. himself. Him and Layla don't have, like, the chat. She does find him during that time period and does end up protecting him from Caroline, who at that point has, like, sucked the sap from the forest, so she is doing, like, forest shit, but... She leaves before he wakes up, so it's actually a more accurate mirror to how he protected her. But sort of in that moment, she does also have the weird, like, I'm going to instantly fall in love with you because you've a- you actually treated me good and every other guy in my life has raved me. Yeah, that's sad, but it doesn't take much in that case. The other big change is the werewolf, because he's not a werewolf. He's a creature a lot more like left hand. Okay. A sort of weird parasitic homunculus that has stayed alive for hundreds of years by body swapping and transferring into other people's bodies. That's pretty neat. So the big change comes towards the end because Carmilla doesn't exist. By the time you learn where they're going, it's kind of just outright stated that it's to an old spaceport. Not to castle, whatever. Yeah. We're going to the spaceport. This is where we're heading. We need protection, yada, yada, yada. Right. There's a part where, like, Charlotte still goes out to, like, I think take in sunlight. I can't remember for sure. But she ends up running into Grove while he's just had a normal seizure. And so his astral form is just out and about because yeah. he has seizures anyway. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> He kind of, like, is acting, like, really friendly towards her, but it's still kind of a setup, and he sends off a flare to let them know where she's at and stuff. You know what this also reminds me of a little bit is Dr. Sleep with a True Knot. Because they do shit like that. (laughs) Astral project and all that stuff. So Mashira finds her. Okay. 
and is just going to rape her. Damn. It tracks. Before, like, taking her hostage and getting ransom from Meyer himself at this point, because, fuck it, like, we've been attacked and some of my comrades are dead, yeah, like, because by to, that time, like, uh, Nolt's dead, and, like... Yeah, I need to be compensated. And so he's like, fuck it, I'm going to get something out of this, so, like, I've almost never seen a human more beautiful, so I'm going to fucking rape you and take you hostage and get money and <laughs> Jesus, whatever. yeah. A random hunter comes up from behind and is like, oh, fucking... I ain't going to let this happen. Fucking caps Mashira in the back of the head. (laughs) Damn. And then puts together like, oh shit, like you came in on the black coach, but you don't have any bites on your neck. So you did it willingly, traitor. I'm going to rape you in revenge for being a traitor to humans. (laughs) God damn. At which point that's when you get the reveal of what Mashira really is. And he ends up coming up behind Killing him and transferring into his body. So now he's in the body of the hunter. God damn, dude. <laughs> That's crazy, isn't it? I think it's also that, like, he can split himself and it's kind of a hive mind, huh. but they're each a little bit less powerful. And so he also ends up infecting her, which doesn't matter much because once D finds out, he's able to deal with it pretty easily. Because he's D. Yeah. yeah. But because there's no Carmilla and they're just straight up going, going to a spaceport yeah. and with what happened with Mashira right there, when Borgoff gets fucked up, Mashira goes into his body uh. to use it for one last strike. I can't remember what happens to the hunter body, but something happens to the hunter body. And so like Mashira is just like a crawling around parasitic homunculus. <laughs> Yeah. At that point. And it was like, oh, fuck, here you are for one last thing. I can't remember the exact timing and why they set it up, but they legit set up a fucking bomb, like a little mini charge on fucking Grove that's on a timer to trigger one last fucking seizure for him to come in and save the day at like whatever the end plan is supposed to be. I don't fucking remember that. (laughs) Um, And then the big change, like, obviously, since there's no Carmilla, there's none of that illusion shit going on. Instead, they get there, and they're heartbroken because the spaceport's in complete disrepair and practically leveled. At which point, Meyer kind of realizes that D has known this the entire time and didn't want to, like, ruin them of their hope when they might just end up getting killed by all these hunters on the trip to begin with. At least give them hope, yeah. They have their same little fight, where he misses on purpose. Right. And instead of stopping because she died, he stops and like removes his sword and just like cuts off a chunk of her hair. And he's like, this DNA will prove the bounty. Yeah. This is all I need. This is all I need. Okay. Borgoff falls out of nowhere being, you know, possessed by Mashira shoots off one of those arrows, getting Meyer in the heart. Oh, shit. And as D turns to deal with Mashira slash Borgoff, Charlotte impales herself on Meyer's nail uh, claws. Oh, okay, damn. Fucking hell, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it is dealing with like these different elements that we Which is a little bit more Romeo and Juliet ish. I was gonna say, is like, that does sound more like Romeo and Juliet. A lot of these stories that we've seen and heard before. It's just interestingly woven in this to fit a perfect narrative. You want to go 
like the vampire trope. We get that with the Dracula story and all that stuff. But you're also mixing in, in this case, Romeo and Juliet. And westerns. And westerns. And all these other little side stories and shit like that. And just balls out crazy action. I love it, man. It's fun. I already loved this movie. The more we've talked about it, I love it even more now. I was going to say, I think we need more of it in this genre. Not necessarily like exactly like this, but it needs a lot more of it. And we just need adaptations of more of the Vampire Hunter D shit. Dude. There's 18 fucking novels to pull from. We've only seen two. I mean, I've seen two. I, yeah. Did you say no, you see the original? I or haven't no? seen the original. It's worth checking out. But that's still two stories of eight. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's shit. That's nothing. And a fucking world that lends itself to countless stories. Cool with that. We've already talked, what, 10,000 years at least? Damn. To play with? That's a long time, dude. In an empire on top of it? Shit. Yeah. <laughs> a space empire? There's a lot of story that could what? potentially be told. You don't have to do it in the world of Vampire Hunter D, no, but no, no, this but... kind of genre mashup is really in a lot of ways what I live for. Yeah, I really do enjoy it. It lets you know that it can be done, it can be done tastefully, and it doesn't necessarily have to be live action either. Right. You can play right in this realm and get away with a lot of really cool shit. Maybe even do it better. Yeah, I'm probably at a fraction of the cost. Yo, have the team that's been doing Castlevania the past couple years like, hey, do a guys. Vampire Hunter D for us. Do you guys want to play with another Son of Dracula? Dude. Yes, man. I think there's always going to be a fandom of vampire stories, regardless of which variation of vampires you're going to tell. There's going to be fans of it. Mm -hmm. And as long as you have that fandom, why not explore more with it? There's a lot of shit you can do with it. And we've been pitching it, so... There you go. I think that's about all I have to say on it, though. Yeah, no, I highly recommend it. If you like animation, if you like horror, sci-fi, everything else we've already mentioned, gothic horror, etc. Fits the bill. Scores are well done. Cinematography is yeah. well done. I will say, gothic horror is probably technically more traditional than what I'm about to say. It's not traditionally horror-y. It just yeah. has tons of horror elements. Right, exactly. But it's gothic horror up the fucking wazoo. Can't help but notice that. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, man. I think it's a good recommendation, regardless. Like I said, mm -hmm. if you're any fan of what we've already mentioned, who knows how long now, but yeah, go check it out. You know what I want? I want Arrow to give us a two-pack. Oh, man. Dude, I'm up for that. I'll show you later. There's some really cool, like, still books and stuff out there for these. Oh, I bet. I bet. We don't know what we're doing, do we? No. Fuck. We got to go talk <laughs> about that. We're going to go do that. You guys know the drill. This week, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried squirms? Out. Out.